This past Wednesday was January the 1st. It was New Year's Day. It's the day that, in a fit of optimism, all of us make great promises that we call New Year's resolutions. Any of you do that? We make those pledges. We make pledges to ourselves that usually are abandoned by the end of the next week. How many of you made some kind of a New Year's resolution on Wednesday that's already history? Or think about last year's New Year's resolutions. Let me see a show of hands. How many of you actually kept to the diet? Yeah, that's what I figured. How many of you actually kept the exercise program going past February? Mm-hmm. Well, I made a promise this year. This is going to be a different year for me. I'm going to make resolutions that I can keep throughout the entirety of 2020. I'm going to eat more and exercise less. And I've decided to spend at least an extra 30 minutes a day with my feet propped up. Now, how many of you could join me and could actually keep those resolutions? wouldn't be hard. The problem is, the only discernible benefit from those resolutions would be the increase of my waistline which in turn would necessitate several new suits, which I can't afford. But, all of that said, there is a noble purpose in the making of New Year's resolutions. It can sometimes be dangerous. I read about a couple that had been married for almost 45 years had had a wonderful, beautiful relationship. I wouldn't say they'd never had a crossword, but hardly ever had a crossword. And yet they ended up in the office of a marriage counselor. And when they ended up in the office of the marriage counselor, he said, well, let's start out by telling me what the problem is. How did it all start? And the wife decided to go first. She said, well, the problem actually started when we decided to write New Year's resolutions for each other. And they ended up in the marriage counselor's office. But you know, when you think about it, and you think about New Year's resolutions, and the purpose behind them is to bring about a change in our lives usually a desire to make some kind of positive changes. And you think about changes, what about the changes that all of us have seen in our lifetimes? I think sometimes it's often humorous even to think about the changes that we've seen in our lifetime. I remember as a small boy what a treat it used to be to go to my grandmother's house and sit on top of the hand crank ice cream freezer while my uncle and my dad would take turns freezing the homemade ice cream. 
Now, why in the world would you want to go to the trouble to make homemade ice cream when you can get Bluebell on sale two half gallons for $10? You can't make it that cheap. But, of course, back then when we made homemade ice cream, the only thing we could afford around our house was millerine. Do you remember the good, rich, creamy taste of melarine? Good old cottonseed oil used to make synthetic ice cream. That's what it was. It was cottonseed oil used to make an ice cream alternative. Do you realize, if you go on your computer, spell check does not even recognize the word melarine in our day and time. It's also fun to look at some of the expressions we use in our everyday life. Because so many of our expressions in everyday life are based on life in the 1500s. Did you know, for example, June is considered the traditional month for weddings. Do you know why that most people got married in June? They took their yearly bath in May. The bride always carried a bouquet of flowers. And it's referred to now as what? A nosegay. You took a bath in May, you're getting married in June. You carry that bouquet of flowers called a nosegay to try to mask a little bit of the smell. It was designed to make the nose happy with the fragrant smell of the flowers. Now, according to most traditions that I've been able to uncover... Here is another example of a custom from 500 years ago. Taking a bath wasn't as easy as just going in and putting the plug in and turning on the water and taking a bath in the bathtub in the bathroom. It was an ordeal. You had to draw the water, then you had to heat the water. And not only that, in the 1500s, baths were thought by some people to be unhealthy because it washed the nutrients off your body. So you had this big tub and you painstakingly drew the water and you filled the tub, heated the water and filled the tub with the water. And the man of the house had the privilege of the first bath. He got to take a bath in that nice clean water. And then all the other males in the order of their age could take their bath. And after that, the women were allowed to take a bath. And after the women had bathed, the kids had bathed. You notice that we haven't pulled the plug yet, right? Okay, keep that in mind. And then after the men had all bathed, the women had all bathed, the kids had all bathed, then the babies were bathed. By that point, the water in this big tub was so dirty, you could actually lose somebody in it. And that's where the expression came from, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Most of the houses then had thatched roofs. In that thatched roof was the only place that the animals could stay warm, so the animals would live together, burrowed into the straw of the thatched roof. When it rained, it would get slippery, and the animals would fall off the roof, and that's where we get the expression, it's raining cats and dogs. You wanted to know all this, didn't you? 
When company would come over, the host would bring out some a side of bacon and hang it up for his company so he could show off. Because it was a sign of wealth that a man could really bring home the bacon. And then when the side of bacon was hung up, they would cut off a little and share it with their guests, and they'd all sit around and chew the fat. Now tell the truth. You're going to go home today and you're going to feel a lot better because you know what all those phrases mean. There are a lot of things that have changed in the past 500 years. We've all seen a lot of changes in the last half century. But folks, there are some things that never change. The writer of the Hebrew letter tells us in our lesson text for this morning. It's from the letter to the Hebrews. It's in chapter 13 and verse 8. And he says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus has not changed. And not only that, the gospel of Jesus Christ has not changed either. Despite what many in our modern world would want to do, where some you'll see advertised on their marquees out in front of their buildings, they'll say traditional service at such and such time, contemporary service such and such time. If it wasn't so much trouble to change our marquee, I'd put a sign out there that says biblical worship 1045. Neither traditional, neither contemporary, it's biblical. The same today as it was in the first century. And you see all kinds of modifications that men want to think in what the Bible teaches. There are those that would like to have us believe in our world today that the Bible is out of date. And some would go so far as to question whether or not the Bible is even still relevant. And we hear, well, the gospel needs to be improved. The gospel needs to be made more modern. The gospel needs to be updated in such a way that it will be, relate more significantly to life in the 21st century. I mean, after all, life's different now than it was when Jesus walked up and down the dusty roads of Palestine. Society has changed since that old man Paul wrote his letter. Customs are different in the 21st century. Paul's not relevant anymore. The methods of the New Testament need to change and keep pace with the times. Let's think about that for a few moments this morning. And let's keep another question in our minds as we consider that idea. Did the ancient gospel meet the needs of ancient man? You see, Jesus Himself relied on the ancient gospel. In your mind, go back to that time so very long ago when Jesus came to the Jordan to John to be baptized of Him. John said, I have need to be baptized of thee, but you're coming to me. And Jesus said, it's got to happen because we've got to fulfill all of God's commands. And after Jesus was baptized, the heavens were opened and the Spirit of God descended on Him like a dove and a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. 
And it was after that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and He, was, he met the archenemy of mankind, the devil himself, in hand-to-hand combat there in the wilderness. I'm not going to list them. But every temptation known to His satanic majesty was hurled at Jesus there in the wilderness. And the defense of Jesus in the presence of the devil himself was perfect. And everything in His defense, Jesus relied on the Bible of His day. Every time the devil tempted Him, Jesus says, It is written. Jesus relied on that ancient gospel. And folks, that ancient gospel... It changed lives. The teachings of Jesus forever altered the lives and dispositions of His disciples. When Jesus called those men into His service, they were ordinary men. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were just ordinary folks like you and me from ordinary walks of life. There wasn't a one of them. Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, all through the list. There wasn't a one of them that fell into the super saint category. They were all afflicted with the same uncleanness that sin produces. But what do we read in John 15 and verse 3? Jesus said, Now you are clean through the words which I have spoken. You recall that apostle named John? The one who was leaning on Jesus' breast at the Passover? The one who wrote so much for us about love? Do you know what his nickname was once upon a time? His nickname was the Son of Thunder. In Luke 9, there was a Samaritan village that didn't give proper respect to Jesus. And John, along with his brother James, wanted to bring down fire from heaven and turn the inhabitants of that Samaritan village into crispy critters. But that Son of Thunder became known as the Disciple of Love. Or what about Simon Peter? Fickle, impulsive, bombastic Simon. A man that wavered from one extreme to the other. The Word of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. Made out of the fickle Simon a stone-like character. A man who could face mobs crying for his life and stand firm for the gospel truth that had made such a change in his life. He was a man that denied Jesus rather than face criticism at one point in his life. But the power of the gospel of Christ changed his life. And tradition tells us that later on, Peter would submit to the horrors of a head downward crucifixion because he was not worthy to be crucified in the same way that his Lord was. And then what about that first Pentecost 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus? What about all the lives that were changed that day? That day in Jerusalem 
men were assembled out of every nation under heaven. Oh, it was a great, vast audience that day. And in that audience were men as hard and as heartless as you could find anywhere on the top side of God's green earth. In that audience on Pentecost that day in Jerusalem were those that had voted for the release of a robber in preference to the release of the Savior of the world. There were those there that had lied and committed perjury on the Son of God in court. There were those that had joined in the chant of that inflamed and indignant mob in front of Pilate that said, crucify Him, crucify Him. There were those there that had beaten the back of the Savior of the world bloody until it just flowed rivers of blood. There were those in that crowd that had spit in the face of Jesus and put a crown of thorns on His head. There were those in that audience that had enjoyed His humiliating march to Golgotha and rejoiced when He collapsed under the weight of the cross. In that audience that Peter was preaching to were people that had directly or indirectly driven the nails through the quivering flesh of my Lord and my Savior. There were those there that had laughed, that had mocked, and had scorned while Jesus died. To that kind of audience, Peter stood up and proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he said, This same Jesus you've crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And it says when they heard that, they were pierced in their hearts. And in humble anxiety over their lost condition that day, that audience said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And that's when Peter told them to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins. And those that gladly received His Word were baptized, and it were added to them, Dr. Luke tells us, that day about 3,000 souls. Jesus relied on the ancient Gospel. The ancient Gospel changed lives. The ancient Gospel sustained men between, beneath the burdens of life they had to carry. It gave them hope in the hour of death. The aged Apostle Paul is in Rome, and he's in prison and if this is his second Roman imprisonment, he's not in his own hired house. He's in a dungeon cell. He's awaiting execution. And he writes the last letter that's been preserved for us, and that's Second Timothy. In chapter 4, he says, as he's facing the executioner, I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness that the God, the righteous judge, shall give to me in that day, and not to me only, but to all them that love His appearing. It sustained Paul facing the executioner. As Jesus called His apostles together and He told them He was going to go to the cross and He was going to leave them, in John 14 He said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again. I'll receive you unto myself that where I am, there you might be also. Friends, 
we can find no need ever experienced by ancient man that was not met by the ancient gospel. Whether it was peace in suffering or forgiveness of sins, the gospel of Jesus Christ met the needs of the human family. The Bible is literally filled with examples of men and women whose needs were met by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, Tim, that's all fine and well and good. But can the gospel of the first century, can the ancient gospel meet the needs of men and women in the 21st century? Have men and women changed? Beloved friend, human nature has not been altered. Peter and Paul are modern men. Modern men and modern women are made of the same kind of stuff that ancient men and ancient women were made out of. Our hungers, our thirsts, and our fleshly impulses are the same today that they were 2,000 years ago. And therefore, our needs are the same. Have you heard anyone contend that because we live in a different time, that we live in a modern age, that we need a new sunshine? Or we need a new and different air other than the kind that was enjoyed by ancient men and women? Humanity today has found no need of a creation of a new sun or a new moon or new stars. The moral and spiritual nature of men and women is the same today as it was when Jesus walked this earth. Modern men and modern women have the same desires, impulses, and inclinations that ancient folks had. And just as the gospel met the needs of men and women in the first century, it will meet the needs of men and women in our modern era. So, no, men and women haven't changed. Well, has the world changed? Has the world around men and women changed since the first century? Well, the veneer has changed. The surroundings may have changed. But the world is still the same at heart. People still kill and steal and rob and prey upon their fellow man for gain. And the same motives that led to those kind of crimes in the first century lead to them still today. To the ancient world, Paul said in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 10, the love of money is the root of all evil. That's just as true today as it was then. That truth is just as new as that new sunshine out there this morning. The nature of men's and men and women's temptations has not changed. In John, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16, John tells us of three avenues of temptation. John says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world, and the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The appetites of men and women, the lust of the flesh, 
plays as prominent a part in the world of sin today as it did in the days of Jesus. Sins that arise out of the view that men and women have of the unholy, the lust of the eye, is just as prevalent today as it was 2,000 years ago. Pride, ambition, and the desire for exaltation of self still produce the same old sin and sorrow in the 21st century it did in the 1st century. The veneer may have changed. The world about man may have changed. It may have changed its dress. And it might present itself today in brighter colors. But it's the same old world at heart today as the world was that ancient man lived in. Well, has the disease changed? You know, sometimes diseases alter themselves and become resistant to certain antibiotics. And so if a disease is altered, if it's become immune to the remedy, then the remedy should be altered. Guess what? Here's a news flash. Sin's just the same that it's always been. Sin's just as vicious, just as blighty, and just as degrading as it ever was. You remember what Paul would write to the churches of Galatia in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 8? He said, He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. That rule is just as modern as the news you watched on your television set this morning. Modern man has no new sin to add to the catalog of crime. If you think there's some new sin, it's a lengthy reading, but I want you to read with me from Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 32. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was need. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now, that's the King James Version, 1611 English. Let me read it from Philip's translation. They gave up God, and therefore God gave them up. 
to be the playthings of their own foul desires and dishonoring their own bodies. These men deliberately forfeited the truth of God and accepted a lie, paying homage and giving service to the creature instead of the Creator, who alone is worthy to be worshipped forever and ever. Amen. God, therefore, handed them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged the normal practices of intimacy for something which is abnormal and unnatural. Similarly, the men turning from natural intimacy with women were swept into lustful passions for one another. Men with men performed these shameful horrors, receiving, of course, in their own personalities the consequences of sexual perversity. Moreover, since they considered themselves too high and mighty to acknowledge God, He allowed them to become the slaves of their degenerate minds and perform unmentionable deeds. They became filled with wickedness, rottenness, greed, and malice. Their minds became steeped in envy, murder, quarrelsomeness, deceitfulness, and spite. They became whisperers behind doors, stabbers in the back, God-haters. They overflowed with insolent pride and boastfulness, and their minds teemed with diabolical invention. They scoffed at duty to parents. They mocked at learning and recognized no obligations of honor, lost all natural affection, and had no use for mercy more than this. Being well aware of God's pronouncement that all who do those things deserve to die, they not only continued their own practices, but did not hesitate to give their thorough approval to those that did the same. If you're still unconvinced, go home and read Galatians 5, 19 through 21. All of that's the malady of sin, and the malady was fully developed before the prescription and remedy was prescribed. There are no new sins. And there are no old sins that have ceased to be practiced. And that, folks, is why we have to preach the full gospel of Jesus Christ. Sin is still sin. Sin is still transgression of God's law, regardless of what kind of politically correct spin you might want to put on it. Well, if man's malady has not changed, then why change the remedy? Because you see, our adversary is unchanged. The devil is still the same today as he was when Jesus met him. He still goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We don't need a new gospel. What we need to do is to conscientiously obey the ancient Jerusalem gospel. We need to live the kind of life that God wants us to live. We need to make sure that Jesus Christ is the Lord and the Master of our lives. What a wonderful way to start a new year. With Jesus Christ as Lord and Master of all of our lives. If He's not Lord of all of your life, He's not Lord at all in your life. Whether it's to make Him Lord for the very first time or having left Him come back and live for Him once more and make Him Lord of your life all over again, this is your opportunity to do that as we stand.
and while we sing.